Just give me a moment. I've got to just do a little bit of extra setup today. Wonderful to see you all. Um, Natasha and I last week, this time I was at home, asleep. Can you believe it? Didn't even join online church or anything. I just had a nice break. And the week before that, Natasha and I were in one of our favorite places. We were in the Kruger Park and had a good time together. Just her and me. So that was great. Good to have fun. But this morning, I'm really excited about this message And the title of the message is the question that you get asked the most. You get asked this question like five to ten times a day on average, I would think. It's the question that we get asked so often, yet so often don't think about how we answer it. And we sometimes just answer it in a way to try and brush it off or to just move along. And it's this question, how are you doing? Or as Americans say, how you doing? How are you doing? And this morning what I would like to do is to stand still for a little bit and think about this question and how we answer this question. Not because particularly I want to give you a better answer, but because I want to think for myself and I want to invite you to think with me about how am I doing. And, and how do I answer that question? Because I don't know about you, but so often when I get asked that question, depending on the circumstance, the environment, the occasion, the context, the person asking me the question, I will gauge how I'm going to answer that question. Sometimes it's just fine. Sometimes I'll go into a little bit more detail. But even when I go into detail, I I pick and choose certain elements of how I'm going to answer. And I think the reality is, if you're asking me the question, how am I doing? It's actually quite a difficult question to answer. Because I don't know about you, but my life is very multifaceted. So they could be going well in some area while in other areas in the toilet. Is that okay? Can I say that? Sometimes it's going like fantastic in one area and in another area it's, you know, it's not going so great. And depending again on the context who's asking me, I'm gonna answer according to which facet I'm gonna pick out. And I think we all recognize that, that our lives are multifaceted. There's so many different aspects to our lives. So I want to bring that into considering how are we doing? How are you doing? How am I doing? The scripture that comes to my mind is Romans 5, where Paul writes in Romans 5 verse 3, he writes this, not only so, but we also glory in our suffering. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now I think you'll agree with me that just even in that little portion of Scripture, Paul identifies that we have a multifaceted life. Because right there, in, in, in actually in a space of three words, he, took, he talks about probably the two main facets or dimensions of our lives. And I want to term those, those today the internal and the external. If you ask me how I'm doing, there are certain things that's going on internally in my life. And if I'm honest with you, I'll, ask, I'll answer you according to my internal reality. But then I also have an external reality. There are things going on outside of my life or the context that I'm in. And sometimes if you ask me how I'm doing, I will answer you according to my external reality. Now Paul says here, suffering 
What do you think suffering is? Is that an internal or an external reality? It, it, it's an out external reality that leads to an internal reality. But probably it at first is an external reality. Because persecution is something that happens to you. How many of you recognize that you live in a world where stuff happens to you? A lot of the times, the external things we're experiencing is not even by our own hands. Anybody here want to raise their hands as to say that it's because of you that we're experiencing load shedding in South Africa? So if we can just deal with you, then problem solved. We're all dealing with external realities that happen to us. And they're going to happen. You have very little control over them. There's some things that happen externally that is because of me and that I do have some control over, but there's also a lot of stuff that happens I have no control over. It's my external reality. If you get persecuted, it's not necessarily something you chose. It's something that happens to you. Whereas he says suffering produces perseverance. Is perseverance an external or an internal reality? That's an internal reality. And he talks about how, how perseverance produces character and character hope. So can you see Paul is touching on both of these aspects of our lives? The internal and the external. And he's, he's saying that your life is lived in all of these different facets. So let's say the external, if I ask you how you're doing and you had to answer me that question based on the external, perhaps you'll answer the question based on you know, how you're doing at work. How's your relationships in generally going? How's your front line? Are you able to see the kingdom come on your front line? How's your finances doing? We'll probably weigh into that. How's, how's your physical health doing? How's your community engagement going? How's it going just in your environment? Whereas if I ask you that question, you want to answer internally, you'll talk about how's your mental health? How's your, physical, uh, your, your spiritual health? How's your emotional health? How are you growing in your, in your learning, your knowledge? How are you doing in terms of your hope, in terms of the joy that is within you? How are you doing with your close relationships? How's your spiritual walk going with the Lord? How's your scripture reading? How's your prayer life going? Those are perhaps more the internal things. So if I'm asking you the question today, how are you doing? I'd like you with me to consider it from those two broad categories. Now, I'm very aware that you can take the external or the internal and further begin to break them down into their very many facets. But for the sake of just this morning, can we sort of use these two broad categories? How are you doing externally? How are you doing internally? And what I would like to do is as we break those down a little bit, is take you on a bit of a journey and my hope is twofold. What I'm trying to do with you today in this little journey is first of all, a little bit you are here. I'd like you today, as you listen to this message, whether you're joining us online, on the radio, here with us, is to be able to, at the end of the message, go, well, I think I am there. That's where I am in my journey of how it's going with me internally and externally. So a little bit of you are here. I would like you to be able to plot a point and say, this is where I am. But even more important than that, I'd like you to understand where God is. Where's God? If I'm here, where's God? Because there's some seasons where it feels, or some parts of this journey where it feels it's easier to understand where God is than other parts of it. But the point I'm gonna try and make, so I'm gonna let the cat out the bag from the word go because I want you to think with me, is that God is with you 
in every part of the journey, equally. God is not in some parts more than what he's in others. Can you, do you agree with me? Can you at least theologically agree with me in that? Well, you don't feel very convinced. How many of you say, I can agree that God is with me always. Never leaves me, never forsakes me. So whether it's going well or bad with me internally, well or bad with me externally, where's God? So no matter where I plot myself, God is also there. And that's very important, but we'll, hopefully you'll understand that as we go along. Now to do this, I'm going to try and do something a little bit with technology today, just to keep it a bit more fresh and interesting. So I'm going to use my whiteboard to plot for you a little bit of a life's journey. So let's say somebody asks you, how are you doing? Now you've got to try and figure out, how am I doing? I think generally when we answer that question, we're going to do a thing where we, where we assess in our own lives, is it going better with me or is it going worse with me? Am I on an upward trajectory or am I on a downward trajectory? Is things looking up? Is things looking like it's getting better or are things looking like it's getting worse? So if that's true that there's an internal reality to my life, okay, so blue represents internal throughout this little talk. Then this could be what an internal journey sort of looks like. Can you agree with me? If your internal journey looks like this, you should come forward for prayer afterwards because you may be dead. <laughs> I think you need help. You are not alive. I don't know about you. But my internal journey has better days and better weeks and better months and then some that are not so great. Sometimes we think that Christians should have an internal journey just look like that. It's always going better. How are you doing? I'm blessed, baby. <laughs> Anybody in that category where that's your life expectation? That it's going to be better tomorrow than it was today. How many of you know that sometimes our mental wellness takes a bit of a dip? Sometimes our emotional strength is waning. Sometimes even spiritually, we, we're slogging it out. How many of you have been in a season where perhaps your spiritual journey is on that drowned trajectory because it's like, I don't know if God's hearing my prayers. I think this is the reality of our lives. That if you ask me how it's going with me internally, I've got better days and I've got worse days. And that's just the reality. But now if you ask me how am I doing, and I go externally, so red will be external, then the journey could look something like, something like that. It may be going not so, I know that you think that's DNA, I'm not drawing DNA. That's not a double helix, it just accidentally happened that way. Okay? So sometimes it can be going like hard on the inside, but on the outside it's going fantastic. Just got a raise at work. You know, I'm just like flying. Stuff's happening. My projects are coming off. My, my marks are really good when I'm studying or at school. It's like, man, but internally I'm actually taking a strain. And you can live in that world. Is that real? Anybody relate to any of this? Okay, the rest of you that didn't put your hands up, I'm sorry, I'm trying, eh? At some point when I start speaking to you and something means something to you, just raise your hand, then it'll make me feel better. 
I think it's true of all of us. We, we go through these conflicting and upside down and topsy-turvy journeys. And I wanna tell you today that that's life. I think it's normal. But if you, if you analyze that, I wanna to propose today that in that graph, there are four particular, which I wanna call seasons of experience that is captured in there. And I wanna talk through each of those seasons. And what I'm gonna do with each season is identify it, describe it for you a bit. Then I'm gonna tell you what I think is a key concept to grasp and thing to do within that season and then how to move from that season to the next. Because our lives keep moving forward and there will be seasons. So the first season I want to start with is what I wanna call winter. So winter, let's just try this and see if it, sorry. So winter, can you read that? Excuse my handwriting. My teachers did their best. So winter perhaps looks something like this on the journey. Remember, blue's internal and red's external. Do you see that both of them are on a bit of a downward trajectory? Any of you have ever experienced winter season in your life? Where it's not going great internally and it's not going great externally either. If I, if I meet you in that season, I say, how are you doing? You'll probably say terrible. It's the season of terrible. If you haven't been through a season like that, it's coming. Winter is here, physically, but winter is part of life's experience. We go through times where both internally and externally, we are not doing so well, and life is tough. Life can be feeling like it's terrible. Now what is the key word? What is the thing that you must get right in the season of winter? And I wanna propose this key word. The key word that I think is necessary for winter is the word change. It's the season where change has to happen. Where we have to recognize that we can't keep going the way we were. Things has to change. Now that's a difficult word in a winter season. Because what a winter season produces in us is exactly the opposite of that. It produces in us often the feeling of nothing is going to change. It produces in us a feeling that things are outside of my control. It makes us think that what hope do I have? It's a low energy kind of season. It's the season where you get plagued with thoughts of, is there a tomorrow? Is there a future? COVID across the world was a winter season. Externally, we were in great difficulty, but the greater impact of that, the greater pandemic was not the coronavirus, it was the internal stuff. And we ended up in this really difficult space where worldwide we were in a winter season. The challenge in South Africa is the winter season seems to be still going on. If you have to think about our nation and ask our nation this question, how are you doing? I think we'd all agree that we are in a bit of a downward externally 
I know the fuel price went down last week. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But how many of you know other things, like how many did you, of you get a bit of a, is waiting for that municipal, municipality account with those increases? And you go, hmm. Did you not know that's coming? I'm so sorry to be the bearer of bad news. But as of the 1st of July, we're paying more for services. Externally, we're feeling it. But not only externally, internally, we're feeling it. And what a season, particularly a prolonged winter season produces, is hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. We start feeling like, ugh, same old, same old. And we actually can get into a space where we start thinking, there's no hope. Nothing will change. And we sort of get into a survival mode. We, we adjust our expectations. We begin to live sort of, you know, basement living. Just how are we, you know, closing things down, making things as manageable as possible so that we can just survive. And now I'm coming in that context and saying a key word is change. Things must change. So now you'll say to me, okay, Louis, that's great, but how? How do I change this season? How do I bring this season to an end? Because so much of what I'm experiencing internally is because of what's happening externally. And I don't have control over that. I don't have control over so much of the external winter reality that I can't change that, and that makes me feel, ugh, why even bother? But I remind you of a story in the scripture. I'm, I'm personally reading through the book of Samuel at the moment. First Samuel, and was just struck again by the, the story of Hannah. Hannah was a person that found herself in a winter season, both because both internally and externally, she was going through a very hard time. Externally, because she couldn't have children, she was in a mix uh, in a polygamous marriage. She couldn't have children. Whereas her, I don't know what the right term is for the other person. Counterpart, Counterpart rival, enemy, co-wife. I don't know what the right term is, but she was fruitful, man. She was having babies. Life was good for her. But Hannah ended up in a space where she was not being able to have children and was being ridiculed for it. And found herself emotionally at a very vulnerable place. So she's caught in a situation. There's not a lot she can do about it. But then one day, she began to change things. How did she change things? Not by trying to change the external reality, but changing the internal. And we read the scripture how she said, I'm going to seek the Lord. And she goes and she starts beginning to cry out to the Lord. She spends time in prayer. She does what she can do. She controls what she can control, which is not that she can change her barrenness, but she can change her well-being. And she begins to draw near to the Lord. And if you read the scripture, it's so beautiful, you start noticing how her inner journey is beginning to change. Now, if you continue to read the story, you'll know eventually it changed externally also for her. Not only did she get Samuel, who became the prophet, but she also had more children. But you could see within her 
The hope didn't arise once she got pregnant. The hope rose before she got pregnant. She started hanging on to the Lord. She started changing her internal perspective, her internal reality, her internal journey started changing. So I want to ask you today, how are you doing? If you are in a winter season, I want to come alongside you and say, you can change things. Perhaps you can't change your external reality, but you can change your response. You can change your hope. You can come to the Father. You can come to the Lord. Because the good news is, if you are in a winter, God is near to you. He is close to you. I want to say to you, this is the sometime in your, some, some of the seasons in your life is winter season is the closest that God is to you. If there is such a thing as him being closer or further. But what I mean is you think he's waiting for you on the other side of winter. I want to tell you he's busy with you because he cares about you internally. Ultimately, God knows God is faithful. God is good. He knows the external stuff he's going to deal with. But he wants you to take up a better position within him. And that happens because he works in the internal. And he begins to reshape. And so the winter season's tough because it's often that season that we sang off this morning. I lay down the lies. I lay down the crowns. You see, because normally what happened before winter was a little bit before winter, there was a season where it was going well with me. And I'll talk about that season just now. But now there's things that I can't continue from that season that I have to change. And now I have to come and say, Lord, show me how to live differently. New seasons require new habits. If you want to bring change in your life, you can't keep on doing the same as you've always done. You've got to change your habits. She changed her habits. Hannah changed her habits and she would go to the temple. What are the habits that you have to change that's, that gets you out of this low energy, low hope kind of place where you go, ah, there's nothing I can do about it. I'm just gonna hang around here and see if something happens. I'm just gonna wait it out. I'm just gonna buy my lottery tickets twice a month now instead of just once. Because perhaps if I win the lottery, then it will... Or, you know, I'm just going to wait. Perhaps till one day my boss sees that I've got potential. Or, oh, I'm just going to wait. Perhaps my marriage will sort itself out. Oh, I'm just going to wait. I want to tell you no. The enemy wants you in this season to believe you have no power. But Jesus comes and says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Jesus comes alongside you and he says, come on. Come on. But it requires a quite a transformation internally, quite a change to happen internally. A key scripture that I believe for this season that I want to give you, and if you're in this season, perhaps this scripture will help you, is Psalm 119, verse 105. Very well-known scripture. What does Psalm 119, verse 105 show you? Says, tell us. It says, it says this. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. When you're in a winter season, you can't see too far ahead. When you're in that low point, when you're in that state of low energy, low hope, it's difficult to think five years, 
How many of you remember when we were in COVID time, if somebody asked you in like 2020, what's your five-year plan? You would have thrown something at them. Says, I, re I remember five years ago doing one of those five-year plan exercises and nobody factored in a global pandemic. It's difficult in the winter season to think five years or two years, but what you can do is think today. Today the Lord will give me my daily bread. His word is a light unto my path. It's a lamp unto my feet. What does that mean? Lord, I'm gonna be close to you. I'm gonna come close to you. I'm, I'm not gonna move away from you for one minute because I cannot survive without you. And that's what, why the winter season is such a fantastic season because it draws us near to the Lord. And it's not that he's getting closer to us actually, it's just that we are motivated to get closer to him. Because we know we need it. We are like, oh, I, need, I need the Lord. You experience this when, when you've got a severe health problem. You go, oh, Lord, I, I need to stay close to you. Your word is a light unto my feet, a lamp unto my path. When you're in real financial difficulty or when your marriage is really in trouble or your relationship with your children, if you missed the parent-child workshop yesterday, we'll have another one coming, but come on. When, when we're in difficult times, it's when we go, Lord, I need you. Light my, light, just give me light by my feet so I can figure out where I am and just tell me what the next step is. Because if I change the next step, I can take the next one after that and the next one after that. I don't have the hope, I don't have the energy for five steps at a time, but I can do one step at a time. I remember the height of COVID and, and leading our churches through that time, we realized as leaders, we just have to do every day, do the right thing that day requires, because then we'll have the knowledge for the next day, what the next day requires. While keeping our eyes as much as we could on the future, it was a winter season. Are you in winter season? Let the Lord come near to you. Let the Lord come near to you. Now I want to ask you a very difficult and trick question. What comes after winter? Please, really? Come on, people. Anybody unsure about this? We can take you back to like grade double R or something. I think this is when they teach you. Like when your parents, you're still wearing a diaper, they teach you this stuff. How many of you know that we've had the winter equinox past? We're on our way towards? Yes, come on. Spring. Spring follows winter. And can I tell you, it always follows winter. And even in these life journeys, for every winter, there's a spring that's coming. There's a spring that's coming. And you can take hold of that spring in the winter already. When you start responding in the winter and you bring the change that is required, it leads towards the spring. Now let's see what, what a spring look like. So let me... Let me tell you what I think spring looks like. Spring looks a bit like this. It's when the external, sorry, sorry. It's when the external, come on, work with me. I know what I'm doing, I promise you. It's when the external is still not looking so great. It's still like, but what's starting to change is the internal. That's what spring looks like. Spring
So let me just write here so that we don't forget which one we are in. Sorry for my handwriting. Spring. Spring, I'm starting to feel energy. I'm starting to feel hope. I'm starting to feel life. But if you ask me how it's going, I'll probably say it's tough. Because I've got hope rekindled in me, but externally things aren't changing yet. If, if somebody looks at me externally, they'll say, yeah, you look a bit better, but you're still in the same problem. You still have the same struggles. Your money is still not great. You still don't have a job. Your health is still not where it's supposed to be. You're still not really making breakthroughs on your front line. It doesn't look great on the outside, but you know things are changing on the inside. How many of you have been in a spring season? How many of you have recognized that there's been times where you're starting to feel like hope and energy is arising within you, but it's not outside of you yet? That's the time where, where, where Hannah was when, when she was now starting to feel the Lord's presence. It's the time where Sarah was when, when, the, when the angels came and said to her, next year, this time you'll be pregnant. And she laughed and she was like, are you crazy? But hope and energy starts arising. But nothing has changed on the outside yet. What is the key word that we need for the season of spring? I want to put to you, it's the word trust. And I'll, and I'll put the word obedience with that close to it. Obedience is the expression of trust, but I think it boils down to trust first. It's the season where you have to trust. And the scripture that I have for that season is Psalm 126, verse 5. How many of you know what Psalm 126, verse 5 says? They can put the scripture up. And I can read it also, otherwise I would have found it in my notes. It's too confusing. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seeds to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. I think we all know and understand by now that if you want a harvest in summer, you have to sow in spring. You have to sow in the time when it's costing you. Have you seen the farmers that have to go and they didn't have a good season before that? So they have to go to the land bank and they have to go lend money. I heard about a farmer the other day had to lend 8 million rand from the land bank so that he could buy seeds, so that he could plant those seeds. Now he's in 8 million rands of debt and all he's got is seeds in the ground. But if he doesn't put those seeds in the ground, how many of you know there's no summer coming? There's no harvest coming. Sometimes we are sowing with tears. It's costly. And this is the tough season of spring. We're taking the little bit that we have and we're saying, I'm going to sow it. I'm going to keep doing the right things. Even though externally I'm not getting the reward. I'm not getting the, the hope. I'm not seeing that what I'm doing is changing. And so it's tough. But I know God's busy with me. And so I keep trusting, I keep obeying. The new habits I've learned, I keep doing them. I keep sowing. There's a temptation in this season, it's a twofold temptation. The temptation is it's tough. And it doesn't look like my efforts are producing any harvest, any work, nothing's changing. So I'm going back to try and rekindle what used to work before this. And I get tempted to give up on this new seed. I've planted the seed, but it's not working. So I stop watering it and I go look for the old where I used to plant. And perhaps there's some leftovers. 
The moment you do that, you're going back and you're actually heading towards poverty. Because God is here in this tough season and he's saying, come on, we've got to sow. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread to the baker, he supplies your seed, but you will cry as you're planting those seeds. Do I eat this seed or do I plant it? Sometimes it comes down to that. The first temptation is I want to go back to what used to work. The second temptation is to become overly positive and to actually ignore what is not working. And, and we Christians sometimes do that because we think that's faith. We think faith is ignoring the reality and proclaiming that which I want. Let me tell you, that's not faith. There was a great sermon we used to listen to in the, when I was in the training center by Fred Price, was it, Neil? Faith, foolishness, and presumption. And it was a great message. If you ignore the reality and you make as if it doesn't exist and you speak the hope only, it's foolishness, it's not faith. Let me give you an example. If you go read in Hebrews about Abraham. Do you remember Abraham's story? He was an old dude. He was like, sorry to say old to anybody that's 75 and plus. But he was in that category. Which is a great time of life. Wonderful. Except for bearing children. It's not the time where you expect a guy and his wife that is as old to have their firstborn. It shouldn't happen. Now they've got a promise. But I'd like you to notice what the scripture says about Abraham. It says this. And Abraham considered his age. He did not ignore it. He didn't go to gym with a little tight short and a wife beater t-shirt, you know those, and walked around and said to everybody, I identify as a 30-year-old. He didn't go and like, you know, flex his muscles and say, my wife's gonna fall pregnant any day now, boys. Because look at me, I'm young, I'm sprightly, I'm fit. No, the scripture says, when he went to gym, he wore a full tracksuit. And he went to the smaller part of the dumbbells. And he recognized, I am old. He considered his body and he said, I'm old, too old for childbearing. Yet, the scripture says, he believed God. That is what faith is. Looking the reality in the eyes and saying, I know this is impossible, but I trust what God says. And that's much harder than I'm just going to ignore this. I'm going to ignore this reality. And that's where the inner struggle comes. Because it's the inner strength that brings the breakthrough. It's not the external thing. We see the breakthrough externally, but let me tell you where the breakthrough actually happened. It's in the internal strength, the resilience that God developed here. So that I am not just responding to the environment, but I actually begin to shape the environment because I believe in what God has said. And I have the internal character, perseverance, hope, and strength to not let go of that. But that's the spring season. It's tough. It's hard. We sow in tears. But we know what comes after spring. 
I feel like we have a bit of a breakdown in relationship here <laughs> that I need to address today. Have I treated you badly at some point? Have, have I tricked you, made you feel like stupid or something? When I ask a question, you're all like, he's going to trick us. <laughs> if I'm going to ask you a trick question, I'll tell you, okay? It's not. Trust me. What follows after spring? Yeah, there we go. Thank you very much. I think we've, we've solved some relational issues here today. What does summer look like, do you think? If I have to draw a graph, if I have to plot it on that graph that I drew earlier, where do you think summer would be? What would summer look like? Now, let me tell you, just to save time. Summer perhaps looks like this. Hey? Man, the fruit's on the trees. The breakthrough has happened. What I believed internally is being manifest externally. Summer is fantastic. How many of you want to live in summer? Hey? Isn't summer the thing that we think, that's where God is? Now, God is there. But I want to tell you a little bit about the bad news of summer. But before I do that, let me tell you about the good news. What is the thing that you have to do during summer? I think the key word for the summer is the word wisdom. And I want to underline that twice. You need the wisdom, first of all, to make the most of the opportunity. To recognize that it's summer, to make hay while the sun is shining, to go for it, to do everything you can to maximize the opportunity, maximize the momentum. My scripture for this is, by the way, this season, if I ask you how it's going, you'd say, excellent, excellent. Ephesians 5, verse 15 to 17 says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Summer is the time to, with wisdom, understand what God's doing and make the most of it. But you know what is one of the key pieces of wisdom that you have to have with summer? Is this, summer will end. I'm sorry to say, but summer will end. What comes after summer? Autumn. If you were Americans, you'd say fall. Hey? There we go. Just for you Americans sitting over there, fall, which is actually a nice word in this context. Summer is the time to maximize the opportunity. Work hard. In, in, in fact, summer is sometimes the time where you work the hardest because now you've got to go for it. Stuff's happening. But let me tell you about some of the mistakes we can make in summer. I'm going to highlight four mistakes. First of all, in summer, when we now feel success, when we suddenly feel like, yes, I've been on a tough journey, but now my journey's validated. Look, I told you God was going to do something for me. See, it's happening. I feel validated. I feel good about life. I feel like, yes, I'm on the right track. The first thing that you can do is you can develop an overestimation of your abilities in summer. You can start thinking that you are having summer because of you. Now it's true that you did make some tough and good decisions during winter and during spring, you remained faithful to them. But let me tell you, you can make all the good decisions you want. It will not necessarily lead to summer unless God's will is for you to be in summer. 
unless it's God's providence. That's what separates us. I can give the same talk to non-Christians, but they will never have this element of the providence and the will of God. I, I listen to leaders sometimes when they when they've gone through their difficulties and now they are in a time of success, a time of summer, it's going well externally and internally. And you start asking them, why is it going so? How are you doing? And they start telling you all the right things they are doing. And there's stuff to be learned from that. But what I always listen for is for the leader that can say, it's going really well, but let me tell you, I know that I'm this far away from, from winter again. If it's not for the grace of God. It's, I don't overestimate my own value in this. That's what we can do in summer. We think, I did this. Look at what I did. Look at how I led this. Look at how we wade through it. We did this. If we develop that overestimation of our abilities, the next thing will happen and we will become entitled. And entitlement means we begin to harm relationships. We think, we did this, we are good. Everybody that's not doing what we're doing, they're less than us. Everybody that's not learning the lessons we've learned, and if they only will do what we said they must do and how we did it, they will be better, but now they're not listening, so we're better than them. And the relationship starts taking strain. We can... Simply believe our own press. You see, when you're successful as a person, everybody tells you you're successful. Everybody tells you how wonderful you are. Everybody tells you how great you are. If you started a YouTube channel and suddenly you've got like 100,000 likes and followers, everybody's gonna tell you how great you are. Everybody's gonna say, wow, how fantastic. Everybody's gonna say, how, how can I learn from you? And then you start believing it. Yes, I am fantastic. I am good. And then you write a book, How to Become Rich Like Me. <laughs> you know? Or whatever. And then you sell them and you become even wealthier because all the people just want to be, well, you know, because success draws success. And we do that. And we think, hey, I deserve this. I'm entitled to this. And the problem is, not only do the people tell you how wonderful you are, they stop ask, asking you the right questions. They stop challenging you. They stop telling you, no, I don't think you actually got that right. Because success becomes its own carpet that everything else gets swept under. Because if, if you're successful, you must have done everything right. And, they, and, and, and you begin to live in that nice little bubble world where everybody's just like, oh, wow, look, it's them. And oh, can I have your opinion? Or can, I, can you talk to me? And everybody just wants to be around you. And nobody actually stands up and says, that was a dumb thing to say. You shouldn't have done that. And if they do, you say to them, what do you know? Look at how, what I've done. Look how successful I am. And you cut them off. Because we're entitled now, you see? I, give me a little bit of leeway here, I wanna say this. Often I listen to leadership talks and I understand where it's coming from but there's a part that concerns me. Often you'll hear this in leadership talks, they'll tell you, if you wanna be successful, hang around successful people. Now I understand that to a certain level. I value and enjoy having people in my life that are more successful than me in certain areas and learning from them. 
But can I tell you, for every successful person I have in my life that I want to learn from, I need five unsuccessful people that I learn from also. And I'm not talking about loser people. I'm talking about the people that are struggling, but they're making life work. That for who the measures didn't fall in kind places yet. I'm talking about the people that have great attitudes, but they work for 100 rand a day or 50 rand a day. I need those people in my life also. I need to have a humility about me, not an entitlement of, I don't have time for those people anymore. Because then I stop learning. Amen? And by the way, that's just not how I saw Jesus. Imagine Jesus only wanted to hang around with more successful people than himself. It'd be pretty lonely. The third thing then, then happens is after I've been gotten entitled, I become addicted. Because let me tell you, success is addictive. That feeling of everything I'm doing is turning to gold. I've got it right. Finally, it's worked out. Is addictive. And the problem is once you get addicted to it, you'll start do everything to have that fix. And that normally means you start cutting corners. You start compromising. You, you stop doing the good habits that got you there in the first place. And you say, I've arrived. And then if people challenge you, you will cut them down because... I'm addicted to success and I cannot let anybody or anything stop me from experiencing this level of validation and success becomes a problem. And then the last one is if you've, if you've gotten there, then the next thing that happens is after the addiction comes complacency. Because like in the natural, what addiction does is it removes hope and it removes energy. Addiction to success will remove hope and it will remove energy in the long run. And you become complacent. And you think, ah, this is my new normal. Summer is my new normal. I'm too big to fail, too good to lose this. And you become complacent. And you just want to live off the enjoyment. Now there's a time, there's a space where that happens. But then you step out of that journey. But if you're in that journey, you've got to recognize with wisdom that winter is coming. Now, if you know winter's coming, you can prepare for it. Autumn's coming and winter's coming. You prepare for it. How many of you know that when the farmers, in end of summer, they start taking off the lands, what do they do with what's left over? They make the hay bales and they put it in the barns because the animals need feed for the winter. If you prepare for the winter when it's summer, your winter that will come, you can get through it easier. It will not be as bad and as difficult. If you don't, if you live in this pride and arrogance that my summer is my new normal and that's how it's always going to be, you are heading for a disastrous winter that you may not recover from. And that's what so often happens. Why do you think we see in this world spiritual leaders that fall at such high points? They've worked their whole lives to reach this high point and then like 30 years of hard work gets undone in three years as they collapse because of the trapping, the traps of success. It's the time to be the, man, you've got to be so close to the Lord and with wisdom and come and say, Lord, let me be close to you. Now let me, because I need to end. What follows summer? Autumn. What do you think autumn looks like in terms of our two graphs? 
Autumn is this. Come on, you can do it. Autumn looks like this. The opposite than spring. No? Sorry, wrong way around. Thank you for not noticing that. Let me make sure on my own notes. Okay, here we go. No, it is this way. Okay. Autumn looks like that. It's still going well outside, but inside things are starting to become shaky. It's a season where if I ask you how it's going, you say, it's okay. If you recognize it for what it is. Most people still think it's going great. But this is the season where your next spring and your next summer depends on this season. Because this season, let me tell you the key word for this season. I believe the key word for this season is the word humility. It's the season where you have to go. I'm so thankful that it's going well with me externally. Everything looks like it's going really good. But I need to reinvent and redo some things internally. I need some new disciplines. Because while winter is not a great season to look ahead, summer is a great season to look ahead. Summer, you have the hope and the energy to say, what's next? The problem is change in summer is harder than what change is in winter. Why? Why is it easier to change things in winter? Because you have the external stimulus and motivation. Because you know it's not going well. It's terrible. Something has to change. And so you have the motivation often to dig deep. I love that saying where somebody said, most people change not because they see the light of day, but because they feel the heat of the fire. In, in winter, we feel the heat of the fire. We feel like, oh, it's horrible. I need to change. And so I have the internal motivation to begin to address things. In summer, you have the ability to hope for the future, but you actually don't want things to change. You don't have the external motivation. You actually just want to keep things the same. And that's when this season starts becoming a problem. Because as your internal goes, your external will follow soon. If you don't address this internal, sorry, struggle, and are able to start bringing that around, then what will happen is this will happen. And then what you will actually end up doing, is go into a whole new winter. And you can lose what you've gained in summer. But if you're wise, you'll go through the next autumn and winter because they're coming. Having stored up, having learned, having had wisdom, having had humility, and you'll go through it and you'll pick up on the other side and you'll rise even higher. And so your life will keep going through its seasons, but there will continuously be upward momentum towards the things that the Lord has for you. But this is the season where you have to go in humility to the Lord and say, Lord, show me. What does, is the next season and what are the habits that I need to begin to build now for the next season that's coming? What must change now? Show me my pride. Show me my addiction. Show me my entitlement. Reveal that to me and give me the strength, Lord. Call me forward. Call me higher. I lay down my crowns. I lay down all my success and I say, this means nothing, Lord. Because I want to be on this journey till you fetch me, till the end. But can you recognize with me as I 
come to an end. That God is in summer, God is in spring, God is in autumn, and God is in winter. In every season, he's busy working because his commitment is to you first. It's not first of all to what he's called you to do. It's to you first. And by the way, what he's called you to do can only happen because of what he's doing in you. That's why my firm belief when I was training for ministry and a student and I've kept that saying to myself is, God will never sacrifice my character for the sake of my comfort. But he will very easily sacrifice my character, of my comfort for the sake of my character. He will put me in some difficult times, but he will come close to me so that he can shape me, so I can learn, so I can grow. So as I'm finishing, where are you? How are you doing? How are you doing? Worship team, can you guys join me? Can't you give them another hand? They were just so fantastic, the reverb guys. Really appreciate you. How are you doing? As I said to you before the time, I want you to do a little bit here I am. Where are you? Perhaps in broad strokes you can identify and say, Holy Spirit, show me. Am I in a winter? Am I in an autumn? Ach, in a spring? Am I in a summer? Am I in an autumn? Where am I? Perhaps the Lord needs you to spend a bit of time with him so that he can show you. Asking, is it going well with me externally? Is it going well with me internally? Ask the Lord to show you. And then take those four words that I've given you and pray through them and say, Lord, is this what, what needs to change? What wisdom do I need? What humility, Lord? Show me. Come near to me. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And I want, as we, as we stand and as we pray, and as the team helps us to end the service with a song, I want to remind you, if you want to join our Connect Lounge in the foyer hall with Debbie today, to tell you more about our church, please do that. It will be so great to connect with you. There's also going to be an opportunity for prayer at the end. If you need prayer, if you want to come forward for prayer, that'll be so great. If you want to come and say, I need to give my life to Jesus today. I'm not, I'm not a follower of Christ, but I want to make that decision. Come and let one of the team pray with you. But in my last prayer, I want to ask you this, to pray with me and ask the Lord two questions. Where am I? But more importantly, Lord, where are you? What are you doing? What are you busy with in my life? Because perhaps I think I'm in a summer season, but you actually have, you are actually busy with a winter work in my life. Let me align myself with your works, Lord. What are you doing? So can we pray? Just open your hearts to the Lord. Just open your, your spirit. Holy Spirit, I pray for your wisdom. I pray for your truth. I pray for your gentleness. I pray for your kindness. I pray for your conviction. Thank you that you don't condemn us. You don't push us aside. You don't kick us to the curb. You don't say, I've had enough of you. You always come alongside and say, let me show you. Let me reveal myself to you. Let me reveal my process to you. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, we come. Without fear, we just come. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, show us where we are. I pray for each individual, those joining us online, on the radio, just show them, show us, Lord, where you are. Where are we with you? What are you doing? What are we going through right now? And then I pray, Lord, show us what you're doing in our lives right now. What are you busy with? Because if we know that, we can find hope and we can find energy. 
Because your word, your revelation always comes with power. Always comes with ability. So that even if I feel like I have no power, there's nothing I can do, your word will release power in my life. Lord, I just thank you for your love for every individual. Every single individual. And I just sense the Father wanting to say to you, I'm with you. I'm near to you. Put your hand in mine and hold tight. In every season, I'm there. I'm close. And perhaps today, there's just a validation of your life that he wants to give you to say, even if it's terrible right now, the Lord says, you're not a failure. This is not the end of your story. This is not how it's going to keep going. Because I love you. And I have good things in store for you. Draw near to me. Seek me and I will give you the wisdom and the strength, the energy and the hope. If you've been in a season of success and, you've, and you've, you recognize today the pride and the arrogance, the addiction of that, come and humbly say, Lord, forgive me. Give me wisdom. I ask you for wisdom. But the Lord says you've not failed. This is not the end of the story. You're not just going to be another terrible story. I've got more for you. I've got better for you. I'm with you. If you're somewhere in the middle, in a transition, feeling stuck, feeling lost, because you don't know to go forward or to go backwards, the Lord says, I'm with you. I'm with you. Hold on to me. I know where I'm going with you. Trust me. It's not the end of the line. It's not the end of the story. And so we just surrender to your love today. And we thank you for your great, great grace. Thank you that you love us even when we don't know how to receive it. You keep on giving your love. Thank you, Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May his face shine upon you, which means his presence is with you. May you go from strength to strength in him. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you.